Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today, feeling the heat on their prognostications, our eminent market watchers, first from episode three, armed with deeply insightful graphs and data, Matthew Dalglish. Matthew, welcome again. Thanks for having me, Kerry. Great to be back. And a familiar voice with a new title, just appointed General Manager of the RMA Network, supporting independent stock and station agents across Australia. Welcome again, Chris Howie. G'day, Kerry. How are you? And well, thank you, mate. And congratulations. What's the what's the brief job description of what you're doing at the RMA? I'd say in a nutshell, I've become an agent's agent. So we're a support and marketing business that gives back-end support and uh, marketing support to the independent agents across Australia. So on the road again? Might be a little bit more, I think. I don't think you could do much more than you have been doing, but I suspect there there would be few, if any, better jobs which would give you a, a better keep in touch, allow you to keep in touch with the coal face of uh, of livestock markets than what you're doing right now. Sometimes you get to a job that suits sort of what you've done with your career, and I, I reckon this is the one. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, good luck with it, mate. Men, there's a lot to talk about, but uh, digging a little below the everyday action. How significant? Is this emerging trend, it seems, of opening and reopening or rejigging processing facilities? Is this a sudden occurrence or has it been in the pipeline for a while? No, I don't. I think it's been in the pipeline for a while. You go back, it's always happening. If you had a look at AMG with their Dandenong plant, they sort of stripped out the old plant and then rebuilt. You know, over the past, those works that have been on the fringe of uh, supply arrangements or, you know, they they were getting to the age where they were just not viable anymore. I just think this is a natural progression. You know, we look at the cattle numbers, there's 120,000 a week being put through. We only ever topped at 144. So I actually think this is just a natural flow. And some of the works that are opening, you know, they're rejigs. The, the Murray Bridge works is brand new, but it, you've got to remember it was there before the fire. And the Cootamundra works, when that reopens, you know, that's had a facelift, but it was there, it just wasn't being used. Cobram, I think JBS is spending about $20 million there, aren't they? Look, Cobram, um, you look at uh, Greenham's, you know, they've invested in their chain. Uh, There's a lot of efficiencies that are coming in through automation, which is a direct result of of labour shortage. But it's also an absolute improvement in the way that the meat processors deliver their product to the end user, you know, the traceability, the, uh, the quality of the article. So I think every step that they're taking is improving the end result for all of us. Matthew, uh, this would be, a, it seems, a big vote of confidence in the future of the uh, livestock processing business. Yeah, that's right. I think, too, that, and Chris alluded to as well with those numbers we're seeing now coming through, I think, obviously, we're starting to look towards what's happening weather-wise and, and the next you know, big event, I guess, is this you know, looming El Nino, and I think the processors are aware, too. Now, we've got higher flock numbers, higher herd numbers that you know we are probably... Uh, in the next few years, going to see a bit of a dry spell, which will see some turnoff increasing. Um, and process, you know, obviously we've seen already prices have gone back, um, you know, to, to, to more well, levels that are more, more conducive to better margins, I guess you could say. And we know that that pressure, that supply pressure, is probably going to keep coming as the as the season dries out. Um, I think that's the next thing. So, so I think processes are using the opportunity definitely to get themselves geared up so they're able to to handle some of the extra numbers they're going to see into the next few years. And the increased competition uh, won't do any harm either, will it? No, that's true. That's true. And I think, you know, some of this work's done, like Chris said as well, that 
obviously a labour scene an issue, but there is also some investment going into to that cold store as well. I think that's another spot where we've got a bit of a pinch point, just making sure there's enough kind of capacity in plant um, and, and further down that, that supply chain in the logistics side. Um, with things like the collapse of Scott's transport, um, that caused a bit of a, a bit of a disruption. I don't, I don't think that's totally cleared yet as well, but I think some of these um, work that's being done to, to make plants more efficient and to try and save labour is another, I think, key focus of the processes at the moment. Let's talk prices now, men. The price is starting to bubble, I suspect. Not actually boiling, but they're certainly bubbling a, a little. The supply up, weather is ominous. Um, but the big, big plus, I think, are exports. They're lifting very nicely. Matthew, you keep a close eye on these figures. Yeah, that's right. The exports um, across the board now have kind of uh, lifted. If you look at something like beef, we've seen increases through May from all the main, you know, those four destinations. But, but I mean, the one that stands out to me is, is the turnaround in the US. Just through May, we saw a 43% increase in volumes going there. And so we're, we're pretty much, um, you know, nearly back to where you'd expect to be based on that five-year average. Um, and if you, if you think back to, to last year, Kerry, like, the, U- the demand in the U.S. is running about 45% below the average. So we've, we've, we've made some big ground um, there. And I think a good part of that is just, you know, we're much more price competitive. If you, if you look at what's happening, um, U.S. pricing for, for cattle uh, just in April reached record levels. And, and the discount, if you look at, say, a heavy steer in Australia versus a heavy steer in the U.S., we're, we're currently about half price compared to their animals. So it's any wonder that we're starting to see that market pick up. And then, you know, the, the Asian markets, that, you know, Japan's still below average, but that had a good gain through May, you know, nearly 30% through May increase. China's kind of returning to better better trade scenarios, obviously. Um, you know, so we're starting to see good flows there. They're up above average. And, of course, South Korea continues to boom, you know, 15% rise through May. Um, and they're, they're well ahead of their average levels too. So, you know, all those main four are all really firing for beef. The mutton one, the mutton one's just gone berserk this year. If you look at the whole year, uh, mutton mutton exports are thirty five percent higher uh, above that above that five year trend uh, you know, across the whole year. So it's been a really solid year from the outset. And what's driving that is China, um, yeah. Chinese China, Chinese demand for mutton. If you look just for May, they're one hundred and forty seven percent above where they've been in May you know, over the last five years. Yes, when you, talk, Chinese, then, yeah, when you talk about China and mutton, you wonder whether we'll have enough sheep in the end. But Korea was a genuine standout. Yeah, that's that's really boiling, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, yeah, no, the, those markets are really going well, and it, it's a good signal, you know, that we've got such diverse markets. The prospect there, as we as we do start to um, increase our, our production internals, if we start to get in this dry space, I think we're in a fortunate position that globally, um, you know, the, the appetite for red, red meat protein is going to be pretty strong, so we will, get, we will have um, plenty of places to deliver. Chris, are we seeing a, a, a genuine change in momentum ready to run through the entire supply chain? When prices are low, everyone thinks they're going to stay there forever. We, I look back into the 90s. We, we are just having an, an old-fashioned 1990s period supply glut. Um, all of those lambs are carried out of the spring last year and talking directly to clients that couldn't finish them. They've still got lambs on hand. Now they're coming into winter. They want to move them out. We've got the uh, all of those cattle that came out of the top end that went into the channel country. They've been there for two years now. Now they're starting to come out. So we've just run into the sort of perfect storm. We've got overseas demand, but we've just got too many hitting the market at the same time. I think with the lambs, normally mid to end of June, you start to see that job change around. The older lambs are 
cutting teeth. The spring lambs have still got a bit of time. So I think we're going to see that lamb job just shorten up in numbers over the next couple of weeks, and that will see an improvement in price. I don't know where it'll go, but it will see an improvement. And then you will see the uh, impact of mutton being used to, I suppose, backfill some shortages around. Now, it might take three or four weeks. It might take two weeks. But when it happens, it'll happen relatively quickly. Yeah. Forbes saw a 10 to $15 rise on Monday, you know, and that's maybe that's the first sign. Will it, will it transpire across everywhere? I think over the next 10 days, you'll just see that gradual lift. Cattle, I think we're a little bit further, you know, and then just looking at numbers. Queensland have got all their numbers coming out. They're having a proper run of supply. The Kimberley is starting to open up, you know, so into Western Australia. Yes. I think the thing that's been undervalued is the impact of the live export reduction in numbers going out. Yes, we're going we to saw the same in the night. Oh, yep. okay. Those numbers are enormous, aren't they? I mean, and, the, and there's still some yep. nervy producers because of El Nino in Queensland, but there's much more yep. confidence in the south, I would think. Yeah, not as reliant on the uh, live export in the yeah. south, and we're going into a low supply period. Like winter, traditionally, cattle numbers drop off, quality drops off. And, uh, and so, therefore, the buyers have to go further north to find numbers or they pay a bit more, which offsets the freight component. Matty, uh, let's look at WA. Uh, as we speak, you are in Western Australia. <laughs> First, beef producers would be feeling better now that Fitzroy Crossing has been reopened. And there's some, uh, I'm told there's a lot of fat cattle up Kimberley Way. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm down south, of course, but... Um the, I mean, the, the WA scenario it was getting a bit dicey. Um, I mean, not so much for the cattle guys, but certainly the sheep and, and mutton over here, um, you know, they're, they're just struggling to get capacity at the moment um, in, in, in the processes. And they'd, up until probably this week, they were getting quite desperate because it was, you know, parts that hadn't seen any rain. But we've had some good few fronts coming through just, just as of, I arrived. They said in the night I arrived, they had 60. 60, 70 mils, and it was pretty widespread across the whole, you know, the, the south, and and, and um, it was a couple of nice patterns that came through. So that's that's provided a bit of relief, and we saw immediately that the yards that that this week that I've been here, we've seen lower numbers come through there. So people have just, I think, said, oh, well, it gives us a bit more time to hold. But the general wait times, I guess, at the moment, you know, to get to get some space for for, for, for mutton and um, and lamb here is, is is you know approaching two months. Yeah, that's kind of probably the biggest concern. And now we've just gone into the moratorium period as well. So obviously Livex is not able to take some of that slack up at the moment. Yeah. Chris, the uh, sheep meat producers in WA, the moratorium's on as we speak. But um, how are they feeling about the future at the moment? What's going on with the, with them at present? Is there, is there any sign of any any change in attitude or is it all over Red Rover for them? Kerry, yeah, the, the sheep producers, the livestock collective, everyone involved, are trying to get the point across that the value of the live export industry to Western Australia is paramount. And it just seems as though because the decision's been made in Canberra, that's it. Someone needs to start listening because the knock-on effect of taking the live live sheep export industry is is actually starting to, starting to snowball. And uh, now you've got negativity around continuing in that field. So, you know, you're going to see people stepping away from sheep what are they going to go more cattle? Or some areas aren't suitable for cattle. Some areas aren't suitable for cropping. So they're actually reducing the, the viability of a lot of primary producers and their associated service businesses. Now, we saw what happened in South Australia in, in the early 90s when the, when the big shipments, the 110,000 a month, you know, and there'd be two companies running. When that disappeared, 
that destroyed the sheep industry in South Australia at a price level for five years. You know, and it's, no one wants to go back to 91 when we were putting them in holes, but it, it actually put all of those sheep that used to be a net takeout from Australia, it kept pushing them back into the system. And, and again, that just created this massive supply glut. That's the problem that Western Australia's got at present. Yeah. They've got a supply glut without the capacity to process the numbers. Time for a break on the grill. We're with our market watchers, Matty Dalgleish from Episode 3, and Chris Howey, he's just been appointed General Manager of the RMA Network. Back in a moment. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your weaners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinogard. Available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. Welcome back. We're on the grill with Beef Central. Today, our market watchers, Matty Dogleys from Episode 3 and Chris Howie, the new General Manager of the RMA Network. Matt, is uh, anyone in WA putting their hand up to build more processing facilities or is that just a fantasy? Uh, no, there are there are um, moves underway. Obviously, there's the plant side of it, Terry, but it's, it's not just the, 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 the plant or more processing. There are some that have been mothballed already that could be re- that could be kind of re um, reopened and, and, and reworked to get up and running. So I think one of the biggest issues is obviously access to labour, um, and then with that access to labour uh, comes access to things like accommodation and other services. So you know you can't just bring in a, a huge team of people and then have nowhere to, to, to house them. Um, so you know, but there are like, the processes again are aware that um, you know they've got they've got the markets to send them to. That's not the issue. Um, and obviously, you know, as we've been speaking about, the supplies there and the supply is probably going to continue to increase as we move towards this, this El Nino, I think. So, um, you know, we've, we've got to get this sorted out so that when those numbers pick up, that, you know, we're not going to see the types of um, price reactions we're seeing, particularly in the West, because if you compare the Western prices to the Eastern states for some categories, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, um, you know, pretty disastrous for the West Australian producer. What's the time frame over there for the end of live exports? Uh, when does the proverbial hit the fan for the producers? Obviously, the panel is, is going through the motions now to assess what the impact is going to be and, and try to mitigate that. They are due to report um, a draft report to Minister Murray Watt into end of September, and then I think a final report into the early part of next year. And then obviously there'll be uh, an announcement at some stage after that from the government, probably leading into the next election, I, I presume, that'll outline what what will be the, the time frame for the phase out. Um, so we're probably not going to find out this, you know, an end date that they're working towards until sometime either late this year or early next year, I suspect. Um, and, and the minister's already said as well that, that they won't be doing anything this term. 
uh, in terms of proceeding. So it'll be it'll be a plan for for the next uh, election term when they start this phase out. Um, in terms of how long that's going to take and will it extend into future terms, you know, will it be a long phase out or a short one? Um, that's that's up in the air still at the moment, I think. Okay, man, let's check what's hot and what's not. Uh, Chris, uh, PTIC heifers, they were hot a few months back. I, I had a quote for PTIC Angus Wagyu heifers for $3,500 just before Christmas. Similar cattle selling last week for $1,700. You were very bullish or are very bullish about PTIC heifers at present? Yeah, look, I still think that anything that you can buy one and turn it into two yeah. is an opportunity for you. Uh, that Look, the prices have come up significantly on heifers, although last week we did see them just kick a bit, you know, 100 120 bucks in some of the store sales around the place. But over the last two months, that what you'd call just a trading heifer, she's come off about $450 in value uh, using the old stock K numbers that we used to have in front of us. So I think there's a real opportunity in heifers. Uh, we're seeing some trading out what would be a negative trade Taking, crystallising the loss, saying, look, you know, we know we've lost money on those, and but they're buying back in. Uh, one I heard out of uh, the the north, you know, bought heifers back in at just over five hundred dollars, and at, at that type of rate, feed in front, I, I think there's a margin, and he'll recover his loss plus uh, make a margin on the trade. Yeah, you mentioned live exports before. I, I think it's fair to say this sector is struggling. Matt, is that a fair comment at present? I think the, the industry is naive if they think that what's going on in Western Australia around sheep is just going to stay there and not go anywhere else. Are you thinking that the breath of Canberra is hovering over the live export of cattle out of the north? I think we'd I think we believe in tooth fairy if we don't think that one's going to step onto the next. Wow. Well, that's something to think about and to discuss in future programs maybe. Maddie, the numbers are heading overseas now on boats – what about the numbers that are not? Where are they going at present? Where, where are these? And there must be one, two hundred thousand head heading south, surely. Or what are they going to do with them? Yeah, look, I think an option when when you've got this kind of situation where the you know the, the, there's a bit of a glut and there's and there's not enough being moved at the moment. Um, it, it, you know, if it gets to a stage where you're desperate for those things, they can go down and get into the grinding beef. And now with the volumes increasing to the US, I think that's a potential outlet. And and particularly if we continue to and if you look at the bureau forecast through winter, it's, it's looking pretty bad across the country. So yeah. if we do um, get a bit of a dry out and it does force people's hand, then that is an option for those animals. But it's obviously not uh, the one that they'll get, you know, obviously the types of pricing they could get if, if, if um, Livex is firing properly. It's a picture to watch very closely over the next six months, I suppose, the live exports and what happens to that market in, in uh, Indonesia especially. With, with what we're seeing in terms of that you know, change in dynamic to our pricing compared to global pricing, I suspect that towards the back end of this year, we probably are going to see, for, for the live cattle job at least, volume start to increase. I, I, you know, that's kind of what I'm thinking that um, you know, we, we're getting to a stage now where we're becoming quite price competitive again, um, and, and I think that's going to start to play out with extra volumes being able to be opened up as, as those markets um, re-engage with us and we take back a bit of market share. Yeah. Let's check our processes now. They were bleeding plenty of red ink, but it looks like it's all green ink at present. Chris, would you agree? I, I think they're going all right at present. Yeah. Have you heard of no one, no one puts that investment into <laughs> industry over such a long period of time yeah. if, if there's not a positive outcome. And uh, look, a lot, of the, a lot of the businesses we see there now are long-term processes in Australia. They've got massive relationship chains and supply chains. So 
you know, that's just a natural course of business and, yeah, I think they're going all right. Yeah. Lot feeders, they were struggling. In fact, they were burning uh, money for a long time there. Are they over the worst of it? Yeah, I think they've reduced their inventory costs now so that the last of the expensive cattle, um, and I mean properly expensive cattle, so that were bought in October, November last year, 120, 150 days down the track, they're pretty much out. So you're now starting to see the lower inventory costs you know, the feed price is uh, still holding relatively high. But on the back of that, they would have renegotiated or still had current contracts that they're feeding sort of a lesser value animal. So I'd say that there's a margin back there, but I'm not saying it's a big margin, but I think they'd be just creeping back into a positive margin. Matthew, how about retail prices? I get the impression, just walking through the supermarkets lately, they are softening somewhat. Uh, yeah, if you're looking at meat pricing, um, certainly for red meat, that has kind of well the, the price rise we saw last year for, for the for, you know lamb and lamb at the retail level and beef is that was booming and that's that's kind of stopped now. So the the price rises are you know for some actually lamb starts just a little lower. So some deflationary pressures there. But when you look across the other meats, you know this this season at least um, since the start of 2023, we've actually seen a bit of an increase to chicken and pork. And so overall, the whole meat category is higher, but it's the it's the intensive sectors that are that are actually, um, you know, contributing to the to the leftover inflationary pressures. Um, red meat certainly turned the corner, and I think that's reflective too of what we're seeing at the sale yard price all the way through back to that back to that um, in, you know, point. I've been told some uh, terrific top quality meat about to hit the market. Have you heard chatter about this, uh, Chris? I would suggest if anyone's got a freezer, make a bit of space in it. I don't know when it'll happen. We saw it happen a couple of years ago when. Uh, Export rumps and and you know quality cuts hit the market. Just starting to see some specials come out, um, you know, across various butchers and various supermarkets. So I think I think you're going to see natural market force start to start to bring the price down considerably. That's something to look forward to, men. You yeah, both have. I'm going to leave you with this final question as usual. You both have a hundred thousand dollars to invest in livestock, and you must turn them over by the end of the year. What are you going to buy? I know this is a question where that notice, but that's the way it goes on this program. Matthew, the man with forensic vision, what are you buying with a hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> I think uh, I think if I had the I think if I had the grass, I'd probably go for some PTIC cattle. Okay. Anything else? Nothing in the sheep meat industry. Uh, probably goat. If I was going to look at cheap sheep type, okay. yeah. Look, the price we saw the price come off for them in line with what happened with mutton late last year. Mutton's recovered pretty much uh, on the back of this strong demand we've seen, and and goats still kind of down in the doldrums. So I think there, you know, there could be a little bit of an uptick there for for that as we get towards the end of the year. They've, they've been working through some supply issues there as well, but I think that's possibly, you know, that's what I'd be looking at. I'm, I'm a bit have have less kind of optimism for the for the sheep and lamb side just at the moment, just because of what we're seeing, um, you know, in the west here as well. Maybe I'm being, you know, kind of persuaded by some of the doom and gloom that I'm seeing here at the moment. Chris, uh, some people say you see so much livestock, you actually can talk to the animals. What are, what are you buying? <laughs> God, uh, um, they could go a lot of different ways. Uh, I'd do a short term. I reckon I'm two weeks late, but um, if I had hundred thousand, I'd be eighty thousand into uh, some forty-five kilo lambs that are just underdone. There's lots of them, and I'd uh, have twenty thousand of lupins. I reckon by finishing those lambs, I can take them into a different price category, and I reckon the market might just go with me a bit. So I'm not trying to make a big margin, but I reckon I'll just make a nice, a nice trade in 
in six weeks. And I'd probably put $100,000 on the favourite in the first at Eagle Farm. <laughs> <But> <laughs> <laughs> Chris, the new man at RMA, thank you very so much for today. And Matthew, the guru from Market Intelligence, uh, newsletter EP3. Thank you both. Thanks very much. Now I'll leave our podcast listeners with news from America, where the Beyond Meat Company, which was launched in 2019, selling fake pro, or fake meat, that is, protein made from plants. Beyond Meat was going to knock the beef industry for six. It launched at $25 a share. Pundits said it was going to, as I say, it was going to cause immense, immense damage. And as you suggested, Chris, some people were saying, sell all your cattle because it's all over. Their shares are now selling at $11. They went to $239. They're now $11. One stockbroker has described the Beyond Meat shares as a zombie stock. That is not Beyond Meat, but Beyond Dead. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm Kerry Lonning, and this has been On the Grill for Beef Central.